0: From the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery, I'm Josh Young, and this is As Seen From Here. On today's podcast, Richard Packard and Bruce Koffler at the World Ophthalmology
1: Congress. Well, first of all, the material that we're using are high decay materials, you know, with uh, DK values close to 100. First this.
0: If time and money were no objects, you'd probably go to a lot of meetings. Not just ASCRS, but ESCRS, APACRS, AAO, Hawaiian Eye, and Winter Update, and you'd learn a ton. But money is an issue, and time an even bigger one. That's why I go to all of those meetings for you. Speak with the presenters you'd like best, and get them to distill their talks down to just a few minutes. You can see all of these interviews at no cost, At the iWorld Replay website, just go to ewreplay.org, E W R E P L A Y.org, and enjoy. I had the opportunity to interview a number of people advancing the forefront of ophthalmology during the 2016 World Ophthalmology Congress in Guadalajara, Mexico. Edited versions of these interviews are presented on the iWorld Replay website as brief videos. I'm going to present these interviews in their entirety over a number of podcasts. Today, we hear from Richard Packard on cataract advances in the last two years and Bruce Koffler on orthokeratology. I'm here with Richard Packard. Richard, you you have a uh, wonderful talk. Uh, the uh, the, the, the WOC landmarks... Um, In cataract surgery, and you're stretching this vast expanse of time over which cataract surgery has completely changed, and I mean, of course, for the last two years, since Mm -hmm. the last WOC meeting. What are some of the topics that you're covering? And then I I, I have more specific questions for you.
2: Okay. Uh, Cataract surgery covers many different aspects of different things, and I've looked at all of this, and there have been some surprising changes in the last two years. Uh, If we start out with uh, biometry, I think one of the most significant things going forward is going to be what Warren Hill and colleagues have been doing, using pattern recognition to find a better way of giving us what we want in terms of refractive outcomes. They've been using pattern recognition, which is based on active neural networks, to look at data in a completely different way without prior knowledge of what that data should give them by way of information. And what this has done across, I think, 12 different surgeons is to produce outcomes when they looked at this retrospectively with 95% of patients within half a diopter of the expected refractive outcome. Now, that is a quantum leap better than anything we've ever achieved by any other means. And I think it's going to be a real game changer.
0: So to 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 be clear, because I, I I value this 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 point too, even though it's not something that I'm using uh, clinically yet, um, this is absolutely positively not regression. No. Uh, so it, it, the, the, we've we've moved from regression formulae for uh, calculating lenses to theoretical ones, which is w- what's in widest use now. To a, a, a system in which it integrates a training data set, yeah. it, uh, a, a validation data set to make sure that, that it's working and then makes predictions going forward to allow uh, very, very accurate uh, calculations for what the intraocular lens power should be without understanding exactly what it is that it's doing. That's right. And what you have to do is to
2: create a a radial basis function plot and you draw uh, a boundary around it. And the data that is within bounds is valid data. The data that is without bounds doesn't help you particularly, but the vast majority of, of, of patients will be within bounds. And the software will be available in two uh, ways. One, it will be uh, attached to the new version of the LensStar when it comes out. The other is that Warren Hill insisted, um, because LensStar actually paid for this research, that it should be available and open access. And he's currently writing a website where this will be available, and anybody will be able to use it.
0: Well, Warren has a has a has a lot of wonderful tools uh, on his on his website. You know, while we're on the topic of websites and software and lens calculation tools, this is something else that, that, you, that you, you spoke about today.
2: Because uh, one of the other things I'm going to talk about is the new Barrett, Graham Barrett's Toric calculator, which incorporates the the, the nomogram that Doug Koch and his colleagues worked out. And it's available on the ASCRS website. Uh, I, Josh was also talking to me about... Another thing that Graham's done, which is on the APA CRS website, which is a a way of working out how to correct with your individual patients when you don't get the result that you want with your toric lens, what you need to do about it, whether you need to move the lens or whether you need to uh, use LRIs or whether you need to use the laser and so on and so forth. And Graham is so much into this. He's also produced a wonderful little uh, app for your phone called Toricam. Which uh, enables you to take a an accurate picture of the front of the eye, which give you the landmarks. You can then print that out or use it in some other form in the operating room, and it is surprisingly accurate. Yeah, we're very good with our eyeballs and actually working out where the um, the the, the uh, Meridian should be, but actually, this has got a little meridiometer on it, which enables you to find the 180 very, very accurately.
0: Yeah, and, and you know, I, I know some of the some of the viewers will say, you know, I'm using an online torque calculator currently, but they, they, you you. You mentioned, and I want to emphasize now, it, that the Barrett Toric uh, lens calculator, which is available, as you said, gratis on the ASCRS and on the APA CRS websites, uh, incorporates the, the the Baylor nomogram, the incorporation of the cylinder that's induced by the posterior cornea. Mm. Now, there, there's there's a, th- a third topic, something new to 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 me. Uh, that, you, that you spoke about, which are uh, lenses that, that may not see the light of day in, in my third world country. But can, can, I, can I get you to talk about that now? Yes, sure. I mean, one of the offshoots of
2: being able to create a perfect capsulotomy, or a perfectly round capsulotomy, perfectly centered, is to be able to improve what you believe to be the effective lens position Incorporating all the other things we've just talked about and having a lens which lives within the capsulotomy. And there are a couple of lenses out there in the European field at the moment. One is the uh, mascot lens, which was initially designed to try and combat negative dysphotopsia, but it has a flange on the front of the optic that makes it fit into the capsulotomy. <coughs> Excuse me. The other is the femtis lens from Oculentis, which is specifically designed to be captured within... The, uh, the capsulotomy to keep it stabilized there. Now, there are other methods of actually producing capsulotomies that are precise and circular. And I'm personally involved, and I will be talking at this meeting about this one particular laser that bolts on the underneath the microscope. It's a thermal laser which is continuous, so you don't get any problems with pitting that you might with the femto laser. And you dye the posterior capsule with uh, tripan blue. And then, having lined it up with the appropriate contact lens, which is a custom-made contact lens, it takes one second to make the capsulotomy. David Chang will be talking about Zepto at this meeting, which is a mechanical means of using heat to create a capsulotomy. But I think this is very exciting. And if you can guarantee where the lens is going to end up, you will be able to improve on your 95% that you get with pattern recognition. And then you can use that for your premium lenses, your torics, your multifocals, and so on. I think this is a significant move forward.
0: Now, certainly, oh, I mean, one, one, <coughs> one of the the, the the points people make uh, that 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 rings true to 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 me too is is that uh, capsulotomies, particularly femtocapsulotomies, are are solving a problem that I don't have because uh, I'm I'm very good at doing capsulotomy, but clearly I can't I can't Replicate my capsulotomy in uh, in its roundness, in its size, and its in, its its position in a way that would be necessary to employ these sorts of lenses. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are lenses that will demand uh, some some external tool uh, to 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 produce capsulotomy. Uh, really, really neat neat stuff. Uh, I, I, it's just, you know, wonderful. Uh, uh subject uh, the, the that you're that you're speaking on uh, you're covering all of this this stuff you were given 20 minutes I don't know what you're gonna do with all that extra time well I know uh, it's extraordinary isn't it uh but look I I, I want to thank you very much for, for for bringing these these topics to us and Richard for being so very generous with your time with us today Josh thank you so much for having me I'm here with Bruce Koffler. Bruce there are parts of the world in which myopia and particularly progressive my- myopia are being recognized, and dare I say finally recognized, as a real public health problem. And there's been a lot of emphasis on uh, on identifying risk factors, um, and there's emphasis, too, on developing treatments to stem uh, progressive my- myopia. You have a-, a wonderful talk that you gave in this Session, and uh, if I can get you just very, very briefly before we talk about the area of your interest, talk about what some of the other um, modalities are that are being discussed for control of progressive myopia.
1: Well, um, first of all, we had a very exciting symposium today. We had a very large room, and as far as I could tell, it was just packed. And it was an early morning meeting, the first day of the World Ophthalmology Congress. And so there's obviously a great deal of interest. Um, And it's worldwide interest because it definitely uh, had people who approached me afterwards that were from all over, including Kenya. But to be more specific to the question, uh, let us start with the simplest things and work our way up a little bit. Um, obviously bifocal glasses and contact lenses have been used with a lot of success over the years and as we have better designs of both um, the executive focus uh, glasses as well as uh, progressive uh, bifocals uh, in terms of glasses and or contacts those are easy modalities to get children started and we do want to get the children started early on because we know that if you can get them at their age six and seven and eight it's much more effective at slowing down the progression of myopia and then you can move on to uh, the next stage of things which is uh, environmental outdoor activity seems to have a really positive powerful effect on reducing myopia and we're thinking that if we can get kids out for uh, an hour and a half two hours a day in the sunlight, that tends to really be very, very helpful in slowing down myopia progression. And then after we move on, let's talk a little bit about atropine, which is readily available now. Most people remember the one percent atropine and and the obvious effects that that has on children and the large dropout rate because of the side effects. Well, it turns out that some of the studies that have been done, uh, particularly in Singapore, Dr. Tam's group, show that you can go down to point oh one percent atropine, and it's still just about as effective as 1% and you reduce a lot of the side effects. So there really isn't any great reason why we can't make that up. And uh although not commercially available in the United States for example, you can have the compounding pharmacies take care of that for us. And then where I'm interested in because I've always had a cornea practice, we've always done a lot in specialty contact lenses. We have loved orthokeratology, the new orthokeratology. This is not the orthokeratology from the late 70s and early 80s where you couldn't move a cornea more than one diopter and you kept kind of using old lenses and just pressing on the cornea. Now we have beautifully designed, computer generated, reverse geometry lenses that allow us to get the flattening we want centrally and then a mid peripheral vault that gives us a little steepening in the mid-periphery.
0: Now, what do the, the Ortho-K lenses look like? What are they made from? And then what I've always wanted to ask, how uncomfortable is it
1: to, to sleep in, in,
0: in these lenses?
1: Great question. Well, first of all, the material that we're using are high decay materials, you know, with uh, decay values close to 100. And uh, so we're getting a lot of oxygenation, and that's a great secret for it. It is a large lens, and because it's a large lens, it doesn't move. And it really helps in centration. Centration is the key. You know, if we can get the lenses to center, we've got a home run going in terms of the effect. So um, we're using it at night. The children are sleeping in it. It's not moving. They're not feeling it. And they're accepting it. If you had asked me 10 years ago whether I thought I could fit an 8- or 9-year-old boy in a gas perm lens, I would say absolutely not. It would be age fifteen. However, I was able to get in on what was called the SMART study, which was the stabilization of myopia study in the United States, and we had to fit young kids. And it's amazing how well they accept it. And I guess it's a secret is it doesn't hurt them. And they take it off immediately when they wake up and they have this wonderful effect um, of seeing well with no glasses and no contacts.
0: Now now Ortho K was was approved, uh, but the, the the population that it's being primarily used in uh, in in clinical practice is in is in children, right?
1: Well, actually, we treat we started treating all ages, and the the groups that we initially saw spikes were the eighteen-year-olds. 19-year-old kids, I guess because they were entering college or they were getting to a point where they didn't want to wear their glasses anymore. Also, the presbyopic, early presbyopic uh, patients at age 40, 42, there was a spike there because I think they wanted to have something done to give them a little monovision through ortho-K so they didn't have to wear Contacts.
0: But that's clever. I didn't know mm-hmm. that that was even being done.
1: Oh, we can do that. Yes, we can, uh, we can specify exactly where we want to end up. If our goal is a minus one, we can do that. We can take a minus three to a minus one just as well as we can take a minus three to Plano. So um, we could do that group, and then the other group was the 50 to 52 year old group. We had a spike, and I think those were the contact lens wearers that were having dry eye problems and issues with their contacts and had to get out of them. This was a great modality in which they didn't have to wear contacts during the day. And the, the secret, I think, with orthokeratology, um in relation and in, in, in comparison to uh, atropine, is that we are treating the um, myopia, so that the patients really are glasses-free. With the atropine, you may be treating the axial length, but the kids still have to wear glasses or contacts to correct it. But with the ortho-K, we're doing both.
0: Oh, really, really neat. Now, one, one, one last question. For ophthalmologists, Interested in, in, in sort of getting getting a toe in the in the in the water here? What sort of, of, of patient is, is the easiest patient uh, to to have as as, as your first ortho K patient?
1: Um, what I would recommend, because I am an ophthalmologist and uh, I also need to get certified, I needed to take some time out. About a, you know, two or three hours if you're kind of already uh, knowledgeable about fitting gasperm lenses. A little bit longer if you're not. and Get yourself certified. And get yourself with a good, organized group, a uh, company that's making a good brand of ortho-K uh, uh, lens that will give you the support you need. Come to your office when you're doing your first five patients, just like you need to have someone when you're doing your first five or ten LASIK sure. cases. So, you know, they'll watch over it, and make sure that you know and are knowledgeable on what to do. Um, the home run... Patients on the minus twos, the minus threes, just like we talked about in LASIK surgery. Don't take on a minus five with three diopters of cylinder. You know, that's, that's advanced orthokeratology. Take on your simple minus one, minus two, minus threes that have less than one diopter of cylinder, and you, you should get off to a great start.
0: Bruce, this is really, really great stuff, a uh, super valuable tool. I'm really glad that, that that you that you spoke on this on this topic. Uh, I'm very grateful uh, for you for your, your your generosity with your time with us today. Bruce Koffler comes to us from the Koffler Vision Group in Lexington, Kentucky, and Richard Packard is consultant ophthalmologist at the Wellington Hospital in St John's Wood, London, United Kingdom. Ask questions of Dr. Packard. Dr. Koffler, or any of our previous guests, or make a comment about any of the topics we've discussed. These interviews are meant to be the start of a conversation in which you participate. Write to me with your questions or comments at josh at iWorld.org. As seen from here is a production of the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. Be a part of the next podcast. I'm Josh Young.